Hi, gang. You're listening to Funny You Should Say That. This is a podcast in which we listen to things which are about the comedy scene in Portland, Oregon. Today we'll be listening to a short skit I wrote, a couple of old charming songs, and an interview with a local comic, Christian Spillman, a graphic novelist and a stand-up comic who has appeared at places like Harvey's. Twice he was a finalist in the Portland's Funniest Person competition. He has opened for Patton Oswalt and has appeared in clubs all over town. Uh, Tristan is a um, stand-up comedian performing in the, I don't know, exclusively in the in the Portland area or mostly the Portland area? Mostly the Portland area. Mostly. I'm, a, I'm a dad, so I'm a dad first and a comedian second. So the dadding takes place almost exclusively here in Portland. So uh-huh. the well, comedy career, uh, you know, comes uh-huh. in. Apparently a friend of yours, a Mark uh, Salbert. Salfite? Mark Salfite, maybe? Maybe anyway, a long time ago. He says he was talking with you over a beer or something. Yeah, yeah, that's Mark Sulfite. Yeah. Okay. Spells it strange. <laughs> <laughs> and he's talking about stand up comedy. And he said the job itself is not especially amusing. I've heard that dancing in strip clubs isn't that sexy either. How do you react to that? Well, um, I've done comedy in strip clubs, and I tell you, it's probably funnier to do it in a strip club. Um, it's b- a little bizarre. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it, it is really funny when you do stand-up comedy for a long time. When I come across a joke that's, like, really good, I don't even laugh out loud anymore. I just am like, oh, wow. How did how did they do that? Like, you know, especially if it's a joke that I could have told, I almost feel a little sad. Where it's like I missed out. I was like, oh, man, there's nothing exclusive to that joke that I couldn't have written that joke. Uh-huh. And it kind of bums me out a little bit. <laughs> but uh, there's still joy in it. I mean, the actual act of performing, it's incredibly amusing. Just just even the reactions you get. Like my dad always said, uh, crazy is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting to get different results. That's like the epitome of stand-up. I mean, we have a routine. We do the same thing over and over again, and it's guaranteed to get different results. So that, to me, is probably the most amusing thing where I'll tell a joke 
and you know like i'll have a, a like a table of little white clouds you know little little puffy you know white-haired old ladies and i'm like oh no i'm going to tell this joke and they're going to turn on me and everybody's going to feel awkward and then they laugh louder than anybody else in the room and you're just like oh wow like the blows apart the preconceived notions and everybody's having a more fun time and of yeah. course sometimes it works the other guys <laughs> you have uh, worked quite a bit around portland you were a finalist in portland's funniest person contest yeah yeah twice i don't know i don't i don't put a whole lot of truck behind contests yeah but... are the jobs in stand up really that few that you have to compete for them <laughs> well the 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 jobs are infinitely available as long as you're okay with not earning a lot of money at it. Right. The prestige is probably there's jobs. There's just so few prestige opportunities that can move you up fast like a contest. You can plug away and be funnier than the headliner for three or four years before they'll move you up to a headliner spot just because there's so many people who have done it and continue to do it and successfully do it. So... The opportunities for for advancement are rare. Right. So that's what contests are all about, to, to, to leap you ahead of everybody else. And it's really worked for some. Like, I definitely, you know, there's, there's some comedians that just came out of the blue, and I never even heard of them, and they did great in contests. And I was like, what the heck was that about? And then six months later, they... They totally proved themselves, and they moved on to bigger and better things, and well represented Portland. And I was just like, "All right, well, here's my, you know, here's my humble pie." But of course, there's there's the other ones that have moved really far up into the contests and leaped ahead, and then do you have to um, kind of fell yeah, short? <laughs> yeah, do you have to pretty much get into TV before you start making a living? No, no, you can definitely make a living. You, you know, you could probably earn more money if you're willing to do like cruise ships and stuff like that. If you can get like enough credibility, than if you're just consistently only pursuing TV, because that's pretty rare. Uh, I I don't have a lot of experience at that high level, so it's mainly just conjecture from hearing from other people. But you really, as a comedian, you just have to be willing to diversify. You know, like comedy will get you in the door. In a lot of things, you know, I've yeah. gotten jobs at phone rooms because, you know, I was more interesting than the other applicants. And I think a lot of that was because I was a comedian. Uh -huh. So you have to be willing to, you know, act or, you know, comedy can get you in the door as a writer. That's that's probably a writer for television. As far as I can tell, is the, the most talent to success ratio a lot of it otherwise is luck you know if uh -huh. you if you can consistently write really funny stuff and you you'll get people who will pay attention to it and will buy it and then you can right. you can really make it i've seen people who you know don't necessarily have as much stage presence as as say somebody who has just that instant pop of of recognition right and if you want to be a writer in hollywood you have to be under 40 well yeah i mean you have to be willing to if you want to break in. Well, right. yeah, you have to be willing to to give away product, probably. You have to be willing to to just write a ton, uh, have a lifetime's worth of stuff that you're willing to just serve up as your your footstep into the into the realm. So I think after you're 40 and you spend an entire lifetime of writing, the idea of just 
dropping down everything that you've ever worked on and giving it away as just fodder into the machine and then starting from scratch over again, I think that that's something that a, like a 20-year-old writer is like, yeah, sign me up for that. I don't have a problem. Like I, I am always creating stories all the time just for the idea that stories that I've created in the last five years, I can just throw into the chipper and mm. let, let the machine destroy them or work them or whatever they have to. So I can get to those other stories that I really care about. But I, I'm not I'm I'm pretty close to over forty myself. I'm thirty-nine, gonna be forty in August. So I'm not willing to sell that. I'm not willing <laughs> You're to gonna s- hang on to the I'm dream. gonna hang on to the dream. There's different <laughs> levels of success. I know I'm not gonna be Quentin Tarantino, I'm not yeah. gonna be, you know, Walt Disney, but you know, there's any number of guys and gals out there that have made a a, a handsome living that Nobody could tell you who their name right. is, so I'll be one of those. I have to wonder how guys like Quentin Tarantino, I realize the guy is talented, but there are a lot of talented people, a whole lot of them, who never make it. Right. What is the secret to these guys? I, uh, the conclusion I've come to is superior salesmanship. And just incredible confidence. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's Quentin Tarantino's you know, hallmark of success. Here's a here's a weird curveball that most people don't know. Quentin Tarantino did stand up comedy. Did he? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he had a whole routine about about basically how Top Gun was just a big gay metaphor. He was <laughs> like the guy who kind of started the whole like volleyball in in jeans making fun of that. You know. Uh-huh. I don't know. I think um, he was willing to do that. That's he's part of one of like my, my role models because not a lot of uh, you know artists are so willing to make their story to stardom part of their you know artist story as Quentin Tarantino. You're a great movie fan. Oh yeah, yeah. I I I, I study them. Have you written any scripts? Yeah, I, I've written a couple of scripts. I wrote a play that got uh, produced here in town. It was called um, "They Sum It Up Into a Sentence." We decided the, the short version of it was the odd. The, it's like a it's like a two hour long Monty Python sketch almost. Yeah. The the actors had a lot of fun with it because a lot of the comedy came from how you said it and uh-huh. not necessarily what was said. So they they had a lot of fun. They 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 did a really good job. I was actually kind of blown away. away from the shore and our boat sinks slowly in the west we approach the island of lulu <coughs> spelled backwards <coughs> ul, ul. ah in the distance we hear spike jones and his wacky wackakians <laughs> Oh, 
Here at the KBU Studios, talking with Tristan Spillman, Portland comic. Yeah, I've written like you know more traditional like movie scripts and stuff like that that would require huge budgets to be able to yeah. to get actually produced. But they're fun to just keep in the back of my head to think. And the thing is that's amazing is is I've heard from scriptwriters that there's like like a uh, there's they don't have as many more near scripts as they used to. Right. And there's a big drought in it. They can't get good ones. Yeah, and yeah, especially they get they just keep getting recycled. Like unfortunately, there's too many uh, maybe movie fans like myself who have just, you know, deconstructed the shiny exterior right of what a movie should look like. They know the packaging, they know the action sequences that are needed, they know the pacing, they know all that stuff. But the actual, like, why, the root of the story, or why their motivation of the story, like, quite clearly is so the person who wrote it can become famous. Yeah. And that you can't, you can't create transcendent works of art if the motivation for the artist is to become an artist. Like, right. there's nothing transcending there. They're just yeah. rehashing what was been made before. I love there was, um, I think it was Cracked, so I definitely can't take credit for this, but it was somebody else anyway who said that, um, or maybe it was Matt, I can't remember, uh, I'm juvenile, that's the point <laughs> of this story, um, that, uh, that the only reason why Rob Schneider movies existed at all why? was they came out two months before Adam Sandler movies always did, and they, they always packaged them like that. Rob Schneider, two really? months later, Adam Sandler movie, that way, and Adam Sandler funded the Rob Schneider movie, and that was... So it was like a softer landing for Adam Sandler's movie uh-huh. to hit afterwards because you're just like, well, you know. <laughs> at least it's better at, than at least the Rob it, Yeah, movie. at least it wasn't yeah. Hot Chick or whatever the latest <laughs> Rob Schneider movie was. They're like, all right, well, Jack and Jill wasn't that bad. I guess. <laughs> it wasn't the animal. That's ridiculous that I know all these titles. <laughs> anyway, so you um, you have a family, a wife, and three kids. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you homeschool the kids. Uh, the the two youngest uh, were homeschooling. The eldest is is going on to high school next year, and she's been. Mm-hmm. We kind of like like elementary school seems like a much better time to homeschool because uh-huh. there's nothing specific that really needs to be learned in elementary school that you need to carry on for the rest of your life. Right. Like just I don't know. I, I like the idea of it was it was my wife at first who was homeschooling, and now she's taking over the work uh, end of things, and I, I volunteered to, to stay on and, and 
we just really wanted to have them have lots of memories of being with their family when they were younger, uh-huh. you know, because both my wife and I suffered from not having as much contact with our parents as we'd want to have. You know, yeah. they were working really hard. So we decided the way we would set it up is, you know, we would work so someone could always be there. Yeah. It's not significantly, you know, more expensive to do it this way. It's not significantly harder. Like, it seems like it would be like, just like homeschooling seems like infinitely, you know, more difficult than what people are already taking on. But, you are you know, if you're a good parent, you're already, you know, volunteering at the school. Uh-huh. You're already helping them after school with their homework. You're already participating. You just... I mean, you just do it at home. Well, um, what kind of material do you use uh, in your routine? Well, I talk a lot about being a dad. I do a lot of jokes about, like, the perspectives of, you know, what my childhood is like compared to what childhood is like today. I, I, I have a lot of my friends joke around, like, you're like hey, you know, you, you know, why didn't you do, why didn't you really kick in and start doing stand-up comedy before you had kids, you know, because often I lament that I don't have as much time as I'd like to because of the kids, but it's... It's kind of a catch twenty two because before the kids I didn't have the material. So yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I try to talk about what makes me uniquely me. So, you know, even though there's a lot of, you know, wh- average white guys with kids, I try to do my best to have my own unique perspective on that. So Yeah, what what is the difference between kids be aside from uh, smartphones? Uh, what's the difference between kids today and and kids of uh No, I think you hit it. It was smartphones. Huh? I think you hit it. It's just smartphones. It, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's actually it's very uh, hard to uh, you know underestimate how much of an impact that makes. Some things are more expensive and some things are cheaper. That's like I think the the biggest difference. You know, mm-hmm. like electronics is way cheaper. You know, you can have like an incredibly advanced video game system, but you're less likely to be able to go on a skiing trip. Yeah, you're 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 more likely to be able to you know watch cartoons from Japan or from 20 years ago or whatever you want at the tip of, you know the tip of your fingers but the real world stuff isn't quite as accessible uh-huh. as it used to be even though the world's safer i think the the conscious level of the danger that's out there is so much higher that the yeah. world feels a right. little more dangerous yes. even though it's not right. it's really not like you know kidnappings are way down a lot of these other and that's also a thing that's a benefit of smartphones, you know? Like, right. weirdos don't want to pick up a kid because the kid can immediately call yeah. and get help, you know? So that's yeah. that's a great thing. But, I don't know, it just feels like it's, everybody's, you know, I don't think it's exclusive to kids in any way. I just think it's a general trend of the, the age. I think everybody's a little more isolated. Yeah. I was talking with my youngest, Lily, who's probably the, the most, like, aspiring to be, well, they all aspire to be comedians in their own way, but she's got a really cute sense of humor. Uh, I set up a, a big math problem for her, so it had a real-world application. You know, like, you've got a semicircle of mulch, and you've got a yard that's this square foot by this square foot, and the house is this square foot by this square foot, so you got to figure out the grass seed, and this is how much it costs to plant right. it and everything else like that. She's like, geez, Dad, can I just give them 100 <laughs> <laughs> See what they do? And I'm like, I'm like, ah, oh, no, honey, you got to do the math. <laughs> so she like breaks down, starts doing the math, comes back to me and like a half an hour later. And I just arbitrarily grabbed a bunch of numbers and she came back to me and she's like, uh, Dad, I- I'm looking at this and it looks like it's going to cost like $10,000 to do the yard. I don't think we should do it. I was like, all right, I would just grab the numbers randomly. Don't don't think of them as dollars. They're pennies. Just do that. Just move mm-hmm. the decimal over two and that'll make sense, you know. 
She comes back to me in another 10 minutes. She's like, okay, Dad, it was $98.76 to do the yard. And I was like, great job. You did all the math on that. You came up with the right answer. She's like, yeah, an hour ago, I said we should just give him 100. <laughs> so you know it's it's tough to try to convince them that they need to know this stuff yeah. when they know they can just look it up you know right. but it's like i'm trying to like get them to know like no you need to have some context contextual uh, contextual knowledge as well right <clears throat> otherwise you're paying ten thousand dollars for your yard and you don't you don't have anything else to base it off of to know that that's i'm not getting ripped off on that you know? yeah when I go to the mechanic, you know, that's that's a classic example of it. You know, if you don't know what you're talking about at all with a the mechanic, they'll sense right away and you're paying right. you're paying four times as much as you would if you knew what you're talking about. Life yeah. is like that, you know, so I'm trying to get that across to them. It's hard though, because they have all the answers. There it's in a little plastic box in there. <laughs> Where can people catch you? Um, I do comedy all over. Um, I'm going to be at Harvey's pretty soon. I don't remember the exact date, but the, the date that I'm really excited that I really want everybody to come out for is I am going to record my first album. I'm like the only one in town who's been doing comedy this long that doesn't have two already. But yeah, I want to record my first album before I turn 40. So like 10 days before my 40th birthday, I'm going to on August the, the 10th at Kiggins in Vancouver. Uh -huh. I'm recording my first album there, so I'm pretty uh -huh. excited. I'm trying to gather as many people as I can to come out and fill it out and put that old material to rest, you know? <laughs> I'm trying uh -huh. to do that Jerry Seinfeld technique where you, you record all of your best and then you feel okay to move on. To I believe we ought to sing, Homer. Now? Now. How much is that hound dog in the winter? I do hope that flea bag's for sale. How much is that hound dog in the winter? The one with the long mangy tail. I'll give you two bits for that hound dog. The one with a sad aching heart For he looks so much like my girlfriend I can't hardly tell him apart is that? That is a hot dog, Homer. Boy, you mustered that up, didn't you? <laughs> I must take a trip to Louisiana, leave her and that hound dog alone, while I'm eating shrimp and jambalaya, they'll be home a-gnawing a bone. I don't want a monkey or a baboon I don't want an old muley cow I don't want a crappie or a catfish A catfish could never meow
much is that hound dog in the winter with a basketball nose on its face you know what a basketball nose is it dribbles all over the place back now to our conversation with tristian spillman what what what's the name of your, what's the uh, address of your website? I actually don't have a website. Oh, you right don't have now. a website. Yeah, I only have two videos, so it's just like I just use my Facebook page for now. That's another uh, reason why I want to try to get the album on there is so I can have it feels kind of bizarre. Part of the reason why was because I was I was aspiring to be like doing web design and, and graphic design and stuff uh, like that. So the idea of me because I was building people's websites and so the idea of me putting together like a, a lackluster website to try to sell my comedy and then on the other hand try to sell my ability to build you a website was and then I'm like but I have all the the knowledge that I could build a, like a fancy whiz bang website uh -huh. and I was doing it and I was plugging it all in with all my it almost became overwhelming like 80% not about stand-up comedy and uh -huh. I was just like I gotta get more stand-up in Maybe there. Maybe you get your kids to do it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I There was a class that, like, they were trying to... My daughter wanted to take it, but I don't know. There's like kind of like this weird, I don't know, like, negative vibe thrown towards, like, stage moms. But, like, there's a lot of, like, comedians who try to get their kids into doing comedy. Yeah. And it it's almost... Right. Like, I guess the most successful <laughs> example of that was Polly Shore. The Weasel. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. You know, <laughs> in the army now and stuff like uh, Encino Man. Yeah, he's he's like the when he's the best case scenario that you can get out of that situation. Uh -huh. It kind of like gens the, generally throws like a negative vibe on the whole thing. <laughs> he did a fine job with what he was, but man, he got he's old fast. Disappeared, he? Well, I mean, that shtick gets old pretty quick. Yeah. Like you know, it's like Larry the Cable Guy. Everybody was like, I can't believe he's the number one comedian in America, and I'm like, give it. Four or five years, he will disappear into dust. You know, yeah. he's not gonna, he's not gonna be like George Carlin or, or right. you know, you know, Robin Williams or all these guys that will be remembered forever. And yeah, and I mean, I don't, I don't hold him any, you know, ill will either. You know, a lot of comedians are really angry at him or Carrot Top or whatever else for. Oh, Carrot Top is a millionaire. Oh yeah, yeah, and he's despised. I don't I understand that. Like. And and he's, he does a great job. He gets 15-year-olds who wouldn't normally be into stand-up comedy into stand-up comedy. He's like the Weird Al uh -huh. equivalent of rock and roll. Like, yeah. I didn't get into rock and roll if it wasn't for Weird Al Yankovic. He got me into to music and rock and roll like yeah. five years earlier than I would have, probably. <laughs> so I think, I mean, Caratop, we should be carrying him around on a platter, yeah. you know? He did a good job of selling Las Vegas. Yeah, I mean, and it's fun. I mean, nothing's nothing's deep. No one's going to walk away from it being politically offended, or no one's right. going to come away with it any deep revelations of life. But sometimes you don't need that. Sometimes yeah. you don't like every comedian wants to be in some ways like Bill Hicks, or you know, wants right. to, you know, wants to 
burst open the doors of understanding. And I, I'm one of those too. I'd love to be thought of that, but there's only so much market for that. There's, right. there's only so many of there's only so many Mark Marins needed, you know. Yeah, Louis, Louis Blacks, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Louis, he's a really nice guy. I, I met him. He was the Did nicest. You? He's the, by far the nicest comedian that I've ever met. And really? I and I kind of think that like part of it is because he's able to get all that vitriol out on stage. <laughs> yeah, right. He's able to like, you know, like uh, uh, Jay Moore. Uh, I met him and this was back when he was like in his A-list Hollywood days, like yeah. really making it, you know. Right. He was the worst. He was a really? terrible person. And I'm oh. just like, I'm like, how can he be so angry? And so like all the, you know, all these comedians are around him trying to be his friend and stuff like that. I'm like, why, why, why is he upset by that? And then Lewis Black, I see him the very next week and he's super, super yeah. nice. And it took me like a couple of years of reflection to look back on that and be like, Oh my God, that must have been a nightmare for Jay Moore. Like trying to maintain like that level of Hollywood career and deal with all these like yeah. weirdos coming out of the woodwork, trying to jump on your coattails. He, and he was together. Yeah, it's weird. Like he's he's one of those guys where there's some some comedians where like the audience are like, ah, go away. I don't care about you. You're you're yeah. a trifle. But other comedians, they're like, you're my brethren. We want to hang, whatever. Uh -huh. And but Jay Moore is one of those guys who you know. Probably is better for the industry. Who's the exact opposite? He doesn't. He, at least, circa two thousand, he was not interested in other comedians. He was only interested in trying to maintain his fan his yeah. fan base. Not to, to disparage the guy in any way. I'm just saying that sometimes you think that people who are happy and successful uh -huh. should be happy and and okay and secure away from their persona, but they're not. Whereas right. Lewis Black, who's just railing the whole time had not a care like we were so worried about the jay moore experience that we're like don't tell lewis black that we're comedians because he's probably sick of dealing with that and then just throughout the evening we kind of let slip because this guy was hanging with us for like three or four hours just because he thought we were fans and then we let slip that we were all comedians and he's like you guys are comedians and you're buying me drinks like i shall buy you drinks and then he like went around the bar and like hit on women for the other comedians just like do you know who this guy is no but do you know who i am ah uh, you recognize me from tv hook up with this guy he's going to be huge someday he never saw a minute of his stand up you know it's just really uh, i'm like man i want to be like that guy that'd be great it's uh, it's another podcast called Your Fault for Listening. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I did a um with the guy who uh, um Daniel Martin Austin. He does this great podcast, and he's got all the you know the best local uh, Portland guys. So, so you it could, is Portland. Yeah, it's yeah. Portland and Seattle. He brings people you know everywhere from the the Northwest. That would be a really good. Like if you want a list of potential like good people uh -huh. to to bring on your show, like Daniel does a really good job of of finding people who who are not just funny, but like have lots of things to say and right. can fill an hour. So, yeah, yeah I, I like his podcast. That was a lot of fun doing. There was supposed to be like three people on the podcast with me that day, but it ended up just being me and him. Um, um, and we chatted for the full hour. It was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, your fault for listening. It's it's yeah. definitely it's it's not your fault for listening. It's your it's your it's your benefit for uh -huh. listening. <laughs> okay. But yeah, it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of other um, podcasts in town done by um, local comedians. Um, David Moscoro, you can check out at uh, I think it's miho.com is his um, is his he does um, oh gosh um, I wish I could remember the name of it awkward phase yeah the awkward phase he had that going phase. for a long time that was a really good one there's a lot of great podcasts uh -huh. out with comedians I think comedians are great for podcasts because we yeah. want to talk.
Right. Well, that's Mark Maron. That's how he's yeah, so. exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot of them. Well, thanks very much, Tristan, and good luck. Yeah. And, uh, so you can hear, we're, we're shaking hands right now. Yeah, I know right. You can't, you can't hear <laughs> Come check out my show August the 10th at the Kiggins. Where is it? At the Kiggins in Vancouver, Kiggins. right on Main Street. It's on like, Main Street. Okay. yeah, it's like 1011 Main Street, Vancouver. It's like, if you, you know, live in Vancouver, you know where it is. I have been in Vancouver since I think 1980. <laughs> <laughs> well, come check it out. They're exciting now. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're, I, my prediction, and again, like I said, all my other predictions have gone wrong this year, but I think uh, Vancouver is going to be what the, Portland was. The next hot spot. Huh? Yeah, yeah, it's going to, yeah. it's going to, it's going to slowly turn into like, actual Portland, whereas Portland's going to turn into Portlandia. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> it's going that way. That was Tristian Spillman, who has appeared in a number of clubs in the Portland area. And now for something completely different. We present The Revenge of the Adequate Heroes. Hello, this is Francis Frampenstomper. We're here at 2000 Megawatt Clear Channel Cable Radio Central talking tonight with three, count them, three superheroes discussing the vital topic now on everyone's mind. Is Superman a bully? Defending himself against this charge is the one and only Superman. Uh, Soup, how are you today? Thanks for having me on, Francis. It's been a while since I've been by. Don't get into Portland a lot these days. Did you redecorate the studio recently? Doesn't look quite so much like Hiroshima 1945 is the last time I was here. We feel honored to have you on our show. I'd like to begin by addressing a question that goes to the soul of the man in the tight blue pants himself. Tell us, Superman, is that your actual birth name? What, do you want to see my birth certificate or something? I can assure you I was not born in Kenya. I hail from Krypton, not Kenya. Uh, no, no, nothing, nothing like that. We just want to know if Superman is your real name. Uh, no, it isn't. My real name is actually none of your fucking business! So let's drop it, okay? <laughs> well, I, I just thought the listeners might like to know what... Drop it, okay? I am not at liberty to divulge that information, and if you persist in asking me, I'll be forced to... In the words of William F. Buckley, break your goddamn nose! Okay, then, let, let's move on. Accusing Superman of being a bully are his superhero colleagues, Rotten Tomato Man and Beer Fart Girl. Oh, sorry, my bad. For the record, I do not consider these yo-yos to be my colleagues. So, Tomato, Gas Girl, what are some of the complaints you have about Superman? First, I want to correct something. I'm no longer Rotten Tomato Man. I changed my working title to The Red Tomato on the advice of my image consultant. Me too. I got way back on my drinking, but I've replaced it by eating more jalapeno jelly and bean burrito, so uh, now I'm intestinal gas girl, not beer fart girl. Okay, to get back to your question. Well, one of my complaints with this guy is... He's constantly stealing jobs from us. We get a call to rescue a cat up a tree, and we respond, only to find Superman has already been there, gotten the cat to safety, and left. What the fuck, man? What can I say, bruh? I'm faster than a speeding bullet. 
My super hearing can detect a cat's cries from miles away. Interesting. Not to digress, but what's the competition for superhero jobs like these days? It has never been tougher. Every time you turn around, there's a new superhero. What's that one who just showed up at our monthly potluck last week? You mean Captain Blue Balls? Yeah, that's the one. What was his special talent? I don't recall him ever explaining what he had going for him, only that he prefers holding himself on call for dates that are not going well. And and you, Red Tomato, what's your gimmick? We superheroes prefer not using the term gimmick, Francis. I go to bad performances and splatter evil speakers, singers, hecklers, and what have you with rotten tomatoes. I put one square in Donald Trump's gullet last week. And my specialties are dispersing rioters, or at least that portion of them who don't carry gas masks. Also, whenever I happen to be in a bank, making a deposit or whatever, I like to break up bank robberies before they get started. I love to see the robbers staggering out of the bank, choking and tearing up. Quickly followed, of course, by uh, bank patrons and workers. Her fights are enough to make you puke! Oh, give me a freaking break, would ya? Farting and throwing tomatoes. Those things don't impress you? Just how do they compare with my record of freezing time by stopping Earth from spinning on its axis? Or saving a loaded troop ship from sinking? And those are only two things among the thousands of impressive acts I've performed. Compared to mine, the special talents of these two frauds are like shit and shinola. There he goes again, bragging about his skills. In his own mind, he's Mr. Wonderful. His mouth is even bigger than Ted Cruz's. We're sick of it. And not so, Superman. Why don't you tell the audience how you often abuse your abilities, like when you use your X-ray vision to look under girls' clothing? Something I only do when it's absolutely necessary. In those cases, I attempt to first get a bench warrant to make my investigation legal or do it in Colorado, where I've got an arrangement with the judge. I suppose it was absolutely necessary to do a scan on me when I walked into the studio minutes ago and uh, that you had a warrant. Um, yeah, well, about that. Uh... <coughs> and if you're so almighty terrific, how come you had such a difficult time subduing the first son of Metropolis? Lex Luthor! Well, hell, he had kryptonite. My hands were tied, so to speak. I have long admitted to my allergies to peanuts, gluten, and kryptonite. I never said I was perfect. Ah, yes, you did. Well, okay, maybe I have. Aside from those three allergies, I am pretty damned impressive, you gotta admit. Okay, Gas Girl and Tomato, you've told us that Superman steals jobs from you. Uh, Do you have any other complaints about him? Do we ever... Just a couple of weeks ago, I was waylaid by a crazy band of Middle East terrorists allied with the Crips gang, whose gang colors, as you know, are blue. They beat the crap out of me for wearing my red tomato-shaped hat, my red shirt, pants, and bow tie. Where was Superman to help me? Hey, what can I say? You couldn't have adjusted your wardrobe to discourage attacks. At the time, I was spending a happy interlude with Lois Lane. How rude would it have been for me to just fly off in the middle of... You know, the best part, to assist some bargain bin fake superhero. 
This poor guy, the red tomato, was nearly beaten into a snappy tom before Spinach Man. The green avocado and several police cruisers showed up to shoot it out with the Crip Terrace. My heart goes out to you, buddy. Shut up, asshole! Superman, would you ever consider apologizing to the superheroes you have supposedly insulted? Hey, I'm Superman! It's not in my nature to apologize to nobody. It's like, I'm super and you're not! So live with it! After I got beat up, this sphincter in spandex actually sent me a mocking note saying tomatoes should never go where Brussels sprouts fear to tread. I guess that was meant to be funny. And and you know what? I'm going to come out and, and, and say it. And I can't stand any of those macho superhero dorks who wear ridiculous capes. The same kind you do. What's with those things anyway? Didn't capes go out of style during the McKinley administration? You think that silly damn kid creates this big load of panache for you when you're in flight, don't you, Mr. Up, Up and Away? Well, you've got to admit that cape is pretty damned impressive when it billows out behind me during flight. I look like a veritable American eagle! Oh, yeah, listen to him. Clark Kent, the Metropolis Marvel, out to build some kind of gravitas among his loyal followers on the ground, his camp followers who see him doing barrel rolls in the sky and then babble on about birds, planes, locomotives, tall buildings, brick shit houses, wherever. In my opinion, that cape makes you look like some kind of flaming pansy. Is that the pot calling the kettle a pansy? Kettles are so much more virile than pots. Or didn't you know that, girly tomato man? Gas girl, tomato, how come you two never learned to fly? I took lessons, but I washed out of training my second day. Like, who needs to fly to be a superhero? After all, don't I have a hyper-advanced brain providing me with psionic abilities? Yeah, uh, I I guess. (laughs) But wouldn't you prefer the ability to fly? Either you're inclined to fly or you're not. I'm not. Forget about it. Then again, you've got plenty of other special powers, right? Yeah, like I can make anything out of Legos. And I've got the world's loudest snore. Of course, not as loud as intestinal gas girl's farts. Hey, hey, once I almost broke Batman's eardrums. Hey, it just dawned on me. One of you two guys said something about Superman's real name being Clark Kent. What's up with that? They did? Well, my super hearing must have missed that. I think I'm going to have to reverse time and erase that soundbite. My real identity is top secret, you know. Ah, bullshit. Everybody's known for years your real identity. Those Clark Kent black-framed glasses never fooled anyone. And now how typical of you, threatening to censor free speech. You couldn't do any censoring anyway, Soup. KBU Radio Central sits on an abandoned kryptonite mine. Oh my god, no! And here all along I thought I was just feeling the effects of that doobie you gave me before the show, Francis. Oh my god, my secret is out. Yes, I am in truth a mild-mannered reporter. By day, an employee of the Portland Oregonian. But by night... Oh my god. By rights, then, you should be more humble. Now there's a topic for another night. The disappearance of reporting jobs as daily newspapers go out of business around the country. How does this affect people like George Will, Maureen Dow, Jimmy Olsen, and Clark Kent? But that's all the time we've got for tonight. There will be no phone-in segment tonight, so we don't really give a shit about your opinions on the question of Superman. See you next time. 
For now, I'll simply tell you that the play, The Revenge of the Adequate Heroes, was written by super nerd in training M. Watson Dodge. The voices of the players were... Bernie Sanders! (laughs) Ayn Rand! Larry! Bernie Sanders! Until next time on Funny You Should Say That, this is M. Watson Dodge saying aha and goodbye.